Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W-A-B-E in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. This year marks the 100th anniversary of the premiere of Shuffle Along, the Broadway show with an all-black cast and creative team that forever changed the face of American musical theater. The author and cultural historian Cassine Gaines has written a book about Shuffle Along. It's titled Footnotes, The Black Artists Who Rewrote the Rules of the Great White Way. Cassine Gaines joins us now via Zoom. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Shuffle Along was a phenomenal success and demonstrated that white audiences in 1921 would pay Broadway prices to see Black performers. So why did the musical and the foreman who created it disappear from the national consciousness until 2015? I think there are lots of reasons why, you know, part of it is that so much of what made Shuffle Along a success in terms of integrating the orchestra section of an audience, having syncopated swinging music in a Broadway score, having a woman's dancing and singing chorus, even just having Black people on stage in the legitimate theater, so much of that was co-opted by other shows over time, where in 1921, it was quite novel, but over time, it became just a part of the DNA of musical theater. So you had that aspect, but then also you know, there were some really stereotypical elements in Shuffle Along, while It was quite progressive in terms of its music. It was regressive in some ways in terms of the use of Blackface comedy. And so over time, there were some very prominent members within the Black community that felt like Shuffle Along was something that should have been relegated to the annals of history, put in the vault, not remembered. And unfortunately, the side effect of that is we have lost so many performers that perhaps could have been inspired by the work of Noble Sissel, Yubi Blake, Floyd Noy Miller, and Aubrey Lyles, the creators of Shuffle Along back in 1921, that just don't know that this was a part of their shared history. Hmm. Throughout recent weeks, there have been events commemorating the centenary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, when white supremacist mobs raided, firebombed, and destroyed a thriving Black neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Families and children were murdered in cold blood, hundreds of deaths. The play Shuffle Along opened a week before the Tulsa Race Massacre. Was New York that much safer and far removed from the brutal racism in other parts of the country? You know, I think this has been one of the most interesting aspects for me to write about in footnotes, because 
we have this sort of sense that racism was really relegated just to the South, but there was certainly racism and the threat of violence throughout the United States, including in New York City. There were certainly lots of instances where the artists behind Shuffle Along had difficulty getting hotel accommodations. They would book a hotel and when they'd show up, they'd be told there was no vacancy. They were kicked out of restaurants. They were overcharged. They were called racial epithets. They were the victims of sort of occasional uh, racism, everyday racism for the time. And certainly the events in Tulsa had an effect on Blacks that were living in New York. And it seems sort of contradictory, but Noble Sissel, one of the creators of the show, says that perhaps because the Black community was experiencing so much pain, not only in Tulsa, but throughout the United States, that's actually why Shuffle Along was so successful, because people needed escapism, and they provided an opportunity for Black joy to be celebrated on stage. You mentioned the extraordinary creative team for Shuffle Along. No less than the poet Langston Hughes credits that creative team with starting the Harlem Renaissance. The musician U.B. Blake is the best known among them, I think. Would you tell us about Noble Sissel, Flournoy Miller, and Aubrey Lyles? Absolutely. And and I agree with you. I think that Langston Hughes saying that they kickstarted the Harlem Renaissance is about as good as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but so Noble Sissel, um, who was the lifelong musical partner of UB Blake, was kind of the opposite of UB in a lot of ways. UB was kicked out of grade school, he was expelled, and he was really a musical prodigy as someone who's always wanted to be a musician, even ever since he was three years old, quite literally. And his life really took that trajectory from a very early age. But Noble Sissel actually thought that he was going to be a minister like his father. He was college educated and ultimately fell into music through the church. But when UB and Noble Sissel met in 1915, it was a match made in heaven because UB Blake could compose music and he had actually published some songs, but they weren't hits. But all the songs that were hits at the time had lyrics. And so UB had not seen very many college educated musicians back in Baltimore where he was in 1915. And once he met Noble Sissel, he said, you know, if we work together, I have a feeling that we'll make it big. And certainly he had it right. Uh, Floynoy Miller and Aubrey Lyles actually were both college educated as well. They met in Fisk University. And what was sort of interesting about them was they were kind of this odd couple. Miller was tall and of a lighter skin complexion and had sort of a gentle voice. Aubrey Lyles was shorter and darker skinned and would sort of squawk as they uh, performed their comedy bits. And if you get that image in your head of kind of the old comedy routine of one person flailing their arms about trying to make a body blow while the other person is sort of sticking their arm out and, and preventing the antagonizer from getting too close. That was an act that they actually developed. And they did that to great effect throughout all of their career. They ended up also being kind of predecessors for Amos and Andy. They sued Amos and Andy at a point in time for plagiarizing their act. And so if you want to get a sense of what their comedy was like, that's a pretty good indicator. I was fascinated to read in your book that comedian Jack Benny once told Miller and Lyles that their timing was the best he'd ever seen. I mean, subsequent comedians have credited Jack Benny as being the master of comic timing. It speaks volumes that he told that to Miller and Lyles. Yeah, and I think that, you know, because the music of Shuffle Along holds up so well, you know, the song I'm Just Wild About Harry 
comes from this musical. It's a Cicel and Blake tune. It's easy to sort of forget about the amazing contributions of Miller and Lyles, but in a lot of ways, Shuffle Along was actually Floynoy Miller's brainchild. The basic plot of the show came out of a production that he had written called The Mayor of Dixie about almost 20 years earlier. And it was his idea to approach Cecil and Blake with partnering together and putting their talents together to create this new musical comedy. So no, Jack Benny is, again, it's high praise. And I think it just speaks to just how spectacular these talents were in Miller and Lyles. The composer Will Marion Cook and the poet Paul Lawrence Dunbar added sophistication to the project. What did they contribute? You know, Shuffle Along was such an amazing magnet for talent. Someone like Will Marion Cook worked actually with the orchestra of that show. And it's, I think, quite astonishing when I was going back and researching just to see how many people that were so synonymous with the Harlem Renaissance had crossed paths with these four creators. And in some ways, just commented on Shuffle Along and in other ways contributed. For me, I think it was amazing to look at something like W.E.B. Du Bois, who spoke quite a bit about Shuffle Along. And, you know, I would think that someone like Du Bois would have more significant things to, to talk about in 1921, but actually it just speaks to how significant this show was as a moment for Black culture. And also, I think it speaks to how important people in the Black community felt it was that this show succeed because it really became proof of concept that white audiences could be accepting of Blacks, even when Blacks are celebrating Black culture in the way that this show did. And you write about that later in the book, that after the successful Broadway run, the show went on tour, even playing in the South. Cassine, you point out that white people were okay with seeing Black women on stage in stereotype roles. What characters were those? Those would be characters like a mammy character who is asexual, uh, a homemaker, a domestic, someone who's there to nurture for the children and perhaps dole out folksy wisdom, but certainly would not be any sort of a, a woman, a, a full woman in having emotion, having uh, love, having relationships beyond the home. There were other characters like a Jezebel or a Sapphire or a, a tragic mulatta figure, someone who is of a lighter skin complexion and perhaps stuck between two worlds, the black and the white world. These were all really types that grew out of the minstrel tradition. And one of the things that I think is the most significant contribution for Shuffle Along is that it put black women on stage just as women in terms of the main roles. And there is a character who just expresses genuine love for another character and sings the song, I'm Just Wild About Harry, about a character named Harry Walton. And there were thoughts that this scene might actually give way to full on race riots because white audiences would not be able to accept seeing black women on stage expressing emotion unless it was for comedic effect. And so that's a really interesting aspect. The other thing that I should probably mention about Black women and the, the role they had on stage is that this was the first time that Black women really appeared in a chorus beside being sort of ornamental set dressing. Mm -hmm. In other shows, they had sort of been in nice costumes or more often than not, uh, barely in costume, <laughs> parading around the stage. But in Shuffle Along, they had the ability to be appreciated not only for their bodies, but for their voices and their dancing ability. Cassine Gaines, author of Footnotes, 
the black artists who rewrote the rules of the Great White Way. We'll return with more of this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to WABE at Lattice Choice for NPR. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. If you're just joining us, my guest is cultural historian Cassine Gaines, the author of Footnotes, the black artists who rewrote the rules of the Great White Way. The book is about the 1921 Broadway hit Shuffle Along and how its historic all-black cast and creative team forever changed the face of American musical theater. Though the names of some cast members are now legendary, whose careers were launched by Shuffle Along? Adelaide Hall is someone whose career was launched. I think one of the biggest would be Florence Mills, who is someone else who has sort of been forgotten by history. She was a last minute replacement for an actress named Gertrude Saunders, who was one of the first stars of Shuffle Along, but she was ultimately lured away from the production at the price of $5 more a week to sing in a burlesque show downtown. And Florence Mills went on to have an amazing career in England because of her work in Shuffle Along. But one of the names that I think many of your listeners know, but probably don't associate with this little production back in 1921, would be Josephine Baker, who was a part of the chorus of Shuffle Along. She never played in Manhattan, actually. She auditioned for the Manhattan run and was rejected in part because she was too young and in part because her skin color was too dark. Even though this show was a watershed moment for Blacks and particularly Black women, there was certainly still colorism. And you're seeing some of this, the same sort of situation play out now with the In the Heights film. Yeah. Just conversation around that. But Josephine Baker did end up finding her way into the cast through very interesting means. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> She went on to become the highest paid chorus girl in the United States, and it directly launched her to headlining a review in Paris, where the rest is sort of history, as they say. And we can't forget Paul Robeson. Yes, absolutely. Paul Robeson. It's interesting because Paul Robeson intersected with the show for a very brief period of time, but it was so incredibly memorable because he was sort of emerging as a player at the time. And he went on to great success immediately after Shuffle Along. He was only with the show for about six weeks, but it just goes to show you the the caliber of folks that the show attracted. And I should probably also mention, while it wasn't the original 1921 production, There was a revival in 1933. It was uh, ill-fated, but they quickly went on tour with it because they realized it wasn't going to play very well in New York for a number of reasons. And the production went all the way out to California and ran out of money. And so all of the company had to find their own way back to New York. Well, one of the people who was working in the orchestra, a gentleman by the name of Nat Cole, could not find his way back to New York. So he just sort of set his hat down with his fiance in California. And within three months, he had picked up the nickname King. And Nat King Cole's career quite literally started in California because of being a part of this touring company of Shuffle Along. Although, Kasim, I have to tell you that as one who was born and raised in Chicago, we take great pride in the fact that Nat King Cole was a Chicagoan and was playing in (laughs) clubs there when he was about 14. Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned that because when he was in the orchestra of Shuffle Along, he was only about 18. So 
you know, he knew what he wanted to do and started to to make a name for himself. But I'm going to say Chicago can share credit. (laughs) We've been talking so much about the creative team and the impact of the show. Would you describe the plot? Yes. So the plot is based on a three-way mayoral race. And there are two candidates, Steve Jenkins and Sam Peck, that are business partners, they own a grocery store. But in comedic fashion, they are dishonest, unscrupulous, and they know that the other person is as well. So they both hire a private detective to make sure that the other person isn't stealing money to fund their campaign from the store. Of course, they hire the same private detective. And so the comedy ensues from there. And there is a third candidate in the race by the name of Harry Walton. And he is honest and good. And of course, this is politics, so he does not win. And um, <laughs> and so the play sort of hinges on that. You know, it, it's funny because I think when you look at the book of Shuffle Along, it's really a quite simple story. It sounds almost like something that would materialize out of like a vaudeville act or, or something out of the Little Rascals or something like that. But it really provided this great playground where Sissel and Blake could integrate songs from their vaudeville act into this kind of loose story structure. And it also provided so much freedom for Miller and Lyles who starred in the show as the two grocery store owners. It provided them just the ability to riff and have a good time on stage. And also they had just such witty humor. You know, I think that's one of the things that really, again, doesn't get celebrated enough because some of the humor certainly plays into racial stereotypes, you can really lose sight of the fact that for 1921, some of the jokes were really quite clever and audiences just rolled over, not just because it was stereotypical humor, but because it was actually funny. And Floynoy Miller said, you know, the blackface was the bait to bring audiences in, white audiences in particular. And once they were inside the theater, they would be impressed by their genuine talent. And by and large, that is what happened. So in footnotes, you point out this combination of elements in Shuffle Along, a bit of vaudeville, operetta, burlesque, the jazz score was revolutionary with infectious syncopated themes and dance rhythms is the reason that the show relied on holdovers from vaudeville minstrel shows what you just explained it was simply taking the bait or offering the bait or was there something more cynical underlying The four creators were really quite practical and realistic about their odds of succeeding on Broadway. It's worth mentioning that there hadn't been an all-Black musical comedy in over a decade in New York. And so they really had their work cut out for them if they wanted to succeed. And so what they thought made the most sense was blackface comedy was almost a sort of insurance that they took out on the show. They knew that black audiences would enjoy it, but they also knew that to be a hit, they would need white audiences. And they also knew that they wanted to kind of push the envelope in terms of what was socially acceptable. The editor-in-chief of Variety actually told the four creators that this project was going to be dead in the water because white people, white women in particular, would not pay Broadway prices to see Black women on stage. And so part of this was about appealing to the sensibilities of white people and providing them 
something where they felt comfortable. Most of the performers in Shuffle Along did not wear blackface. It was only about four or five, and they were all comedians. But there was that sort of wink and a nod to the audience that, don't worry, this isn't too much change. I should also mention that Florence Ziegfeld, with his famous Follies review, was really the top Broadway producer of the day. And Noble Sissel in particular felt that to compete with the other Broadway shows like Ziegfeld's Follies, you would have to offer to the audience Black women in particular who were of a fairer skin complexion because they would essentially be competing with white women in other productions. Now, this is something that I think is, again, how does history remember this? Is Was this a wise decision? There were people like Claude McKay, who even in real time back in the early 1920s said that Shuffle Along was doing a disservice to not only Black audiences, but white audiences by not showing the full array of Black beauty on stage and that the show could be doing so much more to elevate darker skinned Black women by allowing them to be part of the company. But at the time, this was something that the creators felt they had to do in order to push the door open for not only themselves, but future Black performers. So it's not totally surprising that Shuffle Along had some critics within the Black community. What objections were raised by the writer and intellectual William H. Ferris? Ferris really felt that because Shuffle Along was playing into these stereotypes and had become such a phenomenon, it actually ended up creating a number of similar shows, imitators, some of them by Black producers, most of them by white producers. And he was really concerned that because the show was setting such a precedent, it was actually a really negative thing for the Black community. And his sort of main criticism was, sure, it's fine to have a show like Shuffle Along, but there should also be shows and avenues in art where we can celebrate thought leaders and other realistic portrayals of Black people. But unfortunately, now only audiences would want to see Blackface comedians validated by the Black community, validated by box office receipts. And it was really an incredible detriment to have a show like Shuffle Along as popular as it was because it was going to set back the Black community. You know, I should also mention in 1921, while Blackface was still a quote-unquote acceptable form of comedic expression, it certainly had its critics. There were many people, Black and white, that felt that this was a tradition that should have died a long time ago. And so while there were people in the Black community that were okay with seeing the show, there were a lot of people, particularly those among the Black intelligentsia, that felt that Shuffle Along was doing much more harm than good. Okay, but Langston Hughes, you know, he was no slouch when it came to intellectuals. <laughs> sure, and, and I think that speaks to the way that, frankly, Black artistry is always sort of perceived. You know, I think that there are people that can say Chris Rock is a genius. And I think there are some people that think that Chris Rock should be doing his comedy about other things or raising other sorts of issues. I think a great, really contemporary example would be Tyler Perry, where there are lots of people that have issue, that take issue with Tyler Perry's work. And there are others that say, well, goodness, Tyler Perry is the greatest employer of Blacks in the film industry, period, you know? And so, where, who gets to sort of decide what's acceptable? Who gets to sort of decide what should be celebrated and what should be forgotten? 
those are all sorts of questions that I wanted to raise in footnotes and put Du Bois and Claude McKay and Langston Hughes, three titans of the Harlem Renaissance, among many others who are also cited in the book, and put them in conversation with each other and sort of let us be flies on the wall to that conversation and sort of draw our own conclusions as to was this a show that had harmful aspects to it or was this a show that did more good than harm? Different people have different opinions, but I, I agree. I think that it's, a, it's really complicated. Author and cultural historian Cassine Gaines talking about the legacy of the Broadway musical Shuffle Along. Do stay with us for more of our discussion after this short break. You're listening to City Lights on WABE Atlanta. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. If you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with Cassine Gaines about his new book, Footnotes the black artists who rewrote the rules of the Great White Way. The book explores the hit 1921 Broadway show Shuffle Along, the first Broadway musical with an all-black cast and creative team. The music in this production was phenomenal. Let's talk about some of the songs, starting with Love Will Find a Way. Love Will Find a Way is probably the most important song in Shuffle Along. While it's not the most popular, it is the song that is at the center of the romantic subplot between Harry Walton and Jesse Williams. And it is the song that was believed could give way to a war, a race war, quite literally, if white audiences turned against this moment, not just because they were going to express love verbally, but because they were actually going to sing a love duet. And I think one of the things that's most interesting about that particular song is while the score of Shuffle Along is really a jazz-infused score, that's a song that really sounds much more of the traditional musical theater canon. And um, it's just a beautiful song that everyone should listen to. And I think it's one of UB Blake's favorites from the show. Oh, yes. It's just a gorgeous duet. And then there's the famous I'm Just Wild About Harry. And you've mentioned it earlier. What's the backstory? So Harry is a really interesting song because it actually started out as a waltz. And it's kind of hard to think about now because the song has such a swing and a drive to it. Yeah. But UB Blake loved you know, traditional musical theater, European music, operettas. And he wanted to write a waltz. And Lottie G, who was the actress who was going to perform this song, said, whoever heard of a waltz in a colored show? This song is not going to work. And ultimately, Yui Blake cited one or two other songs. And she said, yeah, but nobody knows them. They weren't hits. And so if you want to hit, we've got to pick it up and have some some drive to this. Mm. UB went to Noble Sissel for to back him up. And Noble Sissel actually sided with Lottie G and said, we should do this as a one step. So the song lasted in the show during its pre-Broadway tryout, and it was almost cut. And if you look at some of those early reviews, they cite other songs as real standouts. And Harry was almost just completely not recognized in the early days of Shuffle Along. And it wasn't until there was a dancer who had fallen ill and there was a replacement that went on. He didn't know the choreography. He sort of made it up as he went along, stepped out of line and really embarrassed himself. But the audience went wild <laughs> about Harry. Uh, that, that was not planned, I should mention. <laughs> but the audience went completely wild. And UB Blake said, that's it. This song stays in. And I think that we should let him remain in the number, that dancer remain in the number and go for the laughs, you know, if that's what's resonating with audiences. And of course, I'm Just Wild About Harry has been 
covered so many times by characters and people like Daffy Duck to Judy Garland and Al Jolson and Carmen Miranda. And And Ethel Merman, didn't she say it too? She did. And, you know, and I think that's astonishing. And of course, we have to mention that it was Harry Truman's presidential re-election song in 1948. Cecil and Blake didn't even know that this was going to be his presidential re-election oh, song. Oh, really? They had no idea. There was just someone on his campaign that when he was on his whistle-stop train tour would start playing it when the train arrived and people would know that that's how Harry Truman was in town. And when Truman was successful in that that amazing election, he actually asked for Cecil and Blake to write new lyrics to I'm Just Wild About Harry that, and this, so that the song could be performed at the inauguration. It's a marvelous story. Let's fast forward to 2015 and talk about the director, George C. Wolfe, creating Shuffle Along or the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed, which is not easy to fit onto a marquee. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) This cast, too, was stupendous, headlined by the brilliant actress and singer Audra McDonald. I'm quoting her here. This is a part of my history, and I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Why did Shuffle Along disappear in the way it did? Was this erasure? I think it was erasure. And one of the things that I really wanted to do with footnotes is leave the reader with a number of questions. And at the end of the book, I sort of ask, you know, what is it about Shuffle Along that has prevented it from being performed in its original iteration since its original 1921 production? There was a revival in 1933. There was a revival in 1952. But those two revivals had significant alterations to the book and the score. And while it's easy to sort of say, because there are racial stereotypes, musical theater is filled with shows that have racial stereotypes that are still performed on Broadway, in revivals, in community theaters, in high schools throughout the nation. And those shows have not been erased. There are shows that are homophobic, xenophobic, sexist, transphobic. And yet those shows still continue to have life. And sometimes when a revival is staged, they tinker with the edges of it. There might be high schools or community theaters that make some minor alterations if they get permission to do so. But by and large, those shows still exist. And yet there is something I think unique, sinisterly unique about all Black shows and the ways in which they have been erased, not only from theaters, but also from the history of theater. And so that's really a question that I think we have to ponder as a society, but I think it's important to think about in 2002, Encores, which is this great nonprofit in New York City, they stage all of these concert versions of forgotten works from musical theater or underappreciated and forgotten works. And they were going to stage a production of the original 1921 Shuffle Along. But Jack Vertel, the producer, who is a white gentleman, did not feel comfortable staging this unless he had some assurances that the Black community might be okay with it. And so he reached out to the brilliant playwright August Wilson. And August Wilson said he thinks that if that production was staged, the original 1921 Shuffle Along, Vertel would probably be met with criticism. It would probably cause a lot of discomfort, but there is a value in staging it. 
because it would not only allow Blacks to see what they had to endure to gain representation on the legitimate stage, it would also force white audiences to see that as well. And it would allow all of us to better appreciate how far we have come and how much further we still have to travel in order to gain full acceptance in all spaces, including the entertainment industry. And I think one of the interesting, frankly, sad aspects is that that 2002 production was never staged. And so I don't know exactly why that is, but we have not yet really had the opportunity to revisit this show on stage in the way that Miller and Lyles and Cicely and Blake originally intended. But now we can add August Wilson to Langston Hughes and the intellectual cred that approved of Shuffle Along. I guess from what I gathered in reading the book, Jack Fiertel felt it would be disrespectful and he felt self-conscious as a white person presenting the show. Although I might have thought August Wilson would have changed his mind. I would have thought so also. And I think it raises the question though, Broadway, like all, like almost all aspects of American society has a lot of white gatekeepers. And I'm not just talking about producers and theater owners, but even directors, casting agents, choreographers, etc. You know, again, we were seeing this sort of play itself out now in the conversation around colorism and the Afro-Latino community with the In the Heights film. And so while I do understand that perspective in 2002, essentially that means this is a show that will never really be on stage again on Broadway because there will always be white producers on Broadway who will feel uncomfortable with this material. And so that's a perspective that shouldn't be forgotten when we are talking about the future of this show. And even the George C. Wolfe production had very little of the book mm-hmm. from the 1921 production. It had a lot of the music and certainly told a lot of the backstage story, but even Wolf did not include very much of the 1921 production. And if you look at interviews with him from the time, he sort of agrees that he did not think audiences in 2016 would, would really stand for it. If you are just joining us, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzis. My guest is Cassine Gaines, an author and cultural historian whose new book is Footnotes, The Black Artists Who Rewrote the Rules of the Great White Way. The book is about the extraordinary 1921 musical Shuffle Along. Like you, my family and I were fortunate to attend that Broadway production in 2016, and we were very excited to see the show received no fewer than 10 Tony Award nominations. What was the irony of that year's Tony Award ceremony? Well, there are lots of musicals that debut every season. So you'd be forgiven if you haven't heard of this one, but there was a show that came out that year called Hamilton. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and Hamilton just swept the Tony Awards, of course, you know, with, with all good reason, I should say as well. But the amazing irony was that the 2016 season was celebrated as the most diverse season in the history of Broadway. It was the year that gave us not only Hamilton and the 2016 Shuffle Along. I know that you did the whole title earlier, but (laughs) (laughs) I will will botch it. Um, It also gave us the Color Purple revival. It gave us On Your Feet. It gave us Eclipse. It gave us Allegiance. Um, It was just a great 
moment for representation, not only for the Black community, but for the Latinx community, for the Asian community. It was, it was excellent. And the irony was that this show, the 2016 Shuffle Along, that celebrated this musical that was a watershed moment for representation, that was celebrated for bringing an unconventional form of music to the legitimate stage, was now being overshadowed by Hamilton, which was a watershed moment for representation that was celebrated for bringing an unconventional form of music to the legitimate stage yet again, almost 100 years later. And, um, you know, it's funny because I really have given a lot of thought to this. And in a way, I, I almost think Miller and Lyles and Cecil and Blake would almost declare mission accomplished in a strange way. I think that they would actually be quite pleased to know that a show like Hamilton, which is continuing to move theater in a different direction, is the show that's getting the praise instead of a show that's looking backwards. You know, those were for performers that were always looking ahead, always looking to push the envelope. And I think that's part of the reason why the 1921 production of Shuffle Along was so successful and the 33 and 52 productions were not because those four didn't do nostalgia as well as they were when they had their finger on the pulse of what was happening now. You have said, sometimes when you look at the footnotes of history, you find a more interesting story to tell about America. So Footnotes is the title of your book, and I take it you want us to derive several layers of meaning from it. <laughs> yeah, I, it's a title that I went through several working titles, <laughs> as I think probably all writers do. The more I started to work on this, the more I thought, you know, in a sense, if you're writing about a musical comedy and one that was so significant to both music and dance, you know, foot and note works, but also as in that excerpt that you read, I really started to think about this idea that even though we know better, we tend to think that life on this planet sort of begins and ends with everything that we know. You know, we know that that people existed a long time ago, but we sort of think about history in a very modern sense, by and large. And we think about amazing performers or actors of the day, maybe someone like an Oprah, and think about how history will always remember the amazing contributions of someone like Oprah Winfrey. And that's quite possible, but it's also just as likely that history won't. And the reason is because there were people who were amazingly influential, prominent figures that existed a hundred 200 years ago, and they have by and large been forgotten. And so in writing about these artists, not just the artists at the center of this story, but the many artists whose lives intersected with Noble Sissel, UB Blake, Floyd Noy Miller, and Aubrey Lyles, and Shuffle Along, I started to think about how, if you are lucky, what you do lasts forever. If you are lucky, you are one of the people who gets to press your hands into the wet cement of time and leave an imprint, even if you don't sprawl your name above those handprints. And what really matters is not necessarily the names as much as the accomplishments. And so while the gentlemen that are at the center of the story Again, Yubi Blake, I think, is, is a name that a lot of people know. The other three, not as much. But even if you get to be a footnote in someone's story, in someone's history, for all of the people who have ever lived on this planet, that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. <laughs> and to uplift those stories and tell those interesting anecdotes in the history of some of these people that have been marginalized and pushed to the sidelines of history 
in one centralized place. I, I thought there was no better tribute than to sort of reclaim <laughs> this thing that is often, you know, that, that literally is at the margins of a page in a book. Author Cassine Gain speaking about his choice of title for his new book, Footnotes, The Black Artists Who Rewrote the Rules of the Great White Way. You can learn more about Cassine Gaines and his book on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and cultural life. Catch an encore broadcast tonight at 9, tomorrow at 11 a.m., our guest is the celebrated Atlanta visual artist Charlie Palmer. His new exhibition will be the first in the newly renovated Hammond's House Museum. City Light's senior producer is Kim Drobes. Summer Evans is our producer, and our engineer is Shelley Kanafi. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes. I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can also follow us on Facebook at W-A-B-E City Lights. Archived interviews and complete shows are on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Thank you for listening to WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.